Heavenly Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to come together one more time and study your word. What, a, what an awesome uh, deed it has been to dive into scripture and to expand our hearts and our minds and to open it up. We thank you for the moments where you've given us revelation. We thank you for the moments where our eyes have seen maybe differently and our hearts have opened up in a new way. But more importantly, we thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you pin this all down so that we don't even have to be taken by surprise. We can know exactly what's coming for our future. And for that, we're very thankful. And I give you thanks for it in Jesus' precious name. Would you all just say amen? amen. Revelation chapter 20, if you will. I would love to say that we're going to get through this chapter in a week, but I'm probably looking at about three weeks in this one chapter. So we're just going to pull it all out since we're getting to the very end of the book. We're going to take our time to really make sure we talk about uh, things that are pertinent to our future. Everything we're reading now is our future. So uh, although we'll try to be as clear as we can about it and as scriptural as we can because it is our future, there is certain speculation that we... Uh, read scripture and then we may have to interpret it. So some people may interpret things a little differently, but I'll try to be fair with that and then give you my interpretations and my feelings about certain things. Let's jump in. It's about 15 verses long and uh, buckle up. It's going to be a good night. It's going to be fun. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who's the devil, Satan and bound him in chains for a thousand years. And then an angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark, on their foreheads or their hands and they all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years this is the first resurrection the rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection for them the second death holds no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years when the thousand years come to an end Satan will be led out of his prison and he will go about to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. And then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and the death and grave gave up their dead and all who were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen. Well, we're in chapter 20 today. And I want to talk to you specifically, uh, take you kind of on a journey 
tonight we're going to look at this thousand year reign and why we need the thousand year reign. And then we're going to next week try to dive into what will be going on during the thousand years. And then we're going to try to dive into why in God's name would God let Satan back loose again. We'll touch a little bit on some of that tonight. And then we'll end with the great white throne judgment. What's going to happen to all the people who reject God? Is there a little hell? What is hell? What is the lake of fire? We'll tackle that all within about the next two to three weeks. So I hope you stay with me in these last uh, several weeks because there's a lot to wrap up with. Uh, you know, I don't want us to get lazy as we move toward the ending of it because I think there's a lot we can open up. So let's just jump right in. Verses 1 and 2, and I've highlighted what's really important and what we're going to hold on to tonight for our teaching. It says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and he had the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain. Just take a moment and gander at that, that it's an angel that seizes the devil, not Jesus. That shows you how powerful angels are and the kind of authority that Jesus is going to give an angel, that he's going to permit another angel to go to an angel and bind that angel up. And it says that he throws him into the bottomless pit, into the abyss, and then the phrase, for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the pit, shut him up, and locked Satan so he could not. And then there's that phrase again that we're going to really touch on tonight. So he could not deceive the nations anymore. And then in this weird phrasing, which is a strange thought if you just run over it in your mind, uh, he's going to be locked away until a thousand years, and then I highlighted the word finished again to show you that God's finishing something. Nothing that's happening is by chance. This thing has been playing out from the beginning of time, uh, and now it's going to be finished up. So God's always, even though you and I may be looking at our culture right now going, what in the world's going on in our culture, all this crazy stuff we see, you know, this liberalism that's kind of infiltrated in our, in our global culture, but just know this, no matter how deep and dark and how, uh, you know, incessantly evil it gets, the beauty is we're working toward a finish line, and, and God's going to tell us about it. But then he's going to release the devil, and there's a very specific reason why. If we don't touch on it tonight, we will in the weeks ahead of why it's a necessity, so to speak, for Satan to be loosed one more time. You would almost feel as a Christian that once... Once this angel has bound him up and you finally got a handle on him, why in God's name would you let him go after a thousand years? But it's very purposeful. Again, nothing God does is happenstance, and we'll, we'll try to dig that out tonight, if not in a few weeks. And then I saw thrones, verse 4, and the people sitting on them, and they had authority to judge. So this is what I believe is the church. I believe we, can, we have and we can back that up biblically that... We are the ones that are going to rule and reign with him, the body of Christ. And then it kind of delineates with another group of people. It says, I see souls, and it tells us what kind of souls are going to be there. I see the souls of people that have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. That's all the saints that I believe were not part of the church when the church was finished on earth with their witnessing, and they were taken up to heaven, and then we have all these people left, and so now we're kind of finishing them up. They get resurrected for the testimony of Jesus. They all come back to life again. And then this phrase, all of them, everybody who's believed in Jesus, whether they were now part of what we are, is called the church, whether they come into faith during the tribulation period and they're beheaded for their faith, the end result of all of them is they get to reign with Christ and then this phrase in red for a thousand years. So I want to tackle this tonight 
to understand the why behind a thousand years. Why not ten? Why not one? Uh, why not a hundred? And so I just want to talk to you as we get there to, to really have an understanding of, of how we are even going to come to a conclusion of why a thousand years. I have to go back to our beginning lesson uh, way back at the very beginning before we even got into chapter one and we were talking about time. Jesus being a person of time. God has put us in a bubble of time. God is very time oriented. Everything he starts, he finishes. Well, to understand the millennial kingdom, we cannot go forward in time because if we go forward in time, we end up in eternity. As soon as the 1,000 years are over, we're in eternity. We're, and by eternity, we mean not just that we quit measuring time. You know, we sing the old hymn, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun. Well, that's because in our mind, we think of eternity, we're still counting time. But once we cross the 1,000 years, we will not count time as we do anymore. Uh, the sun and the moon and the stars won't be used for times and seasons. Uh, the city will light the entire world. Uh, we, as I've said before, are the lights of the world. And we will not need to be in seasons in time like we know now simply because the prophetic has ended. That prophetic revelation in time from Adam all the way to the end of the kingdom, it's ended, it's finished, and we step into an eternal realm. And when we say that, we don't mean let's measure it a million years. We mean we step into the realm of God and where everything is now, everything is right in this moment if we could best define it. So what we're going to do is backtrack. How many of you know, know what book we're going to backtrack to? Yeah, good. We're going to backtrack to Genesis and try to determine can we figure out why God needs this thousand years? Why does he, what is he trying to accomplish in this thousand years? But to understand it, I want to give you the populace of who's going to be around. Uh, I'll run through it quickly because this isn't really the crux, but it, it may just, you know, get your thinking because the thought is, are there going to be people? I get this all the time. Will there be, will there be animals in heaven? Will there be people? Uh, will there be marriage? Well, what we're thinking is we're thinking we all leave and go there. But there comes here. That's the way you have to start thinking. So when people say, will there be animals in heaven? We're thinking way out there somewhere beyond the expanse of the skies is God. But, but the Bible teaches that, that heaven comes to earth. And so, yes, there are going to be animals here. Yes, there are going to be the lion and the lamb will lay down with each other. Yes, we will be walking around on planet earth, ruling and reigning, living life as we live it now. But we will be living it in a kingdom realm and not a fallen earthly realm. And I'll teach you that in the next few weeks. That's going to be very different than what we see now. Right now, we're governed by seasons. We're governed by the sun and the moon. We're governed by evil and all of that, but when we get into the kingdom, things are vastly different for the thousand years. Let's just look at the populace. I'm going to put them all up, and then you can just fill in the blanks, and I'll comment as you write. Uh, the populace of the kingdom, the thousand years, will be the church, which is made up of believing Gentiles and Messianic Jews. So there's that split. Uh, Gentiles who believe in Jesus and Jews who believe he's the Messiah make up the church. They'll be there ruling and reigning. The beheaded, those are all the resurrected tribulation saints, the people that weren't part of the church, but once the church leaves, their eyes are opened up, and they realize, man, he was God, and they put their faith in him. Of course, as we saw, the Antichrist will kill them if they don't take the mark. 
but they'll be resurrected and those two first groups will be ruling and reigning. So they're going to help Jesus rule. The question has always been, rule who? I thought everybody was dead and I thought only Christians went to heaven. Well, remember, what we teach is, is not that Christians go to heaven, but Christians have eternal life. Heaven's going to come to earth and we get eternal life. So the next group there is Jews. That's God's people. Those are the ones that did not believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe that uh, Jesus died for them. They were always looking for their Messiah. But once he comes back on the Mount of Olives, remember last week, they will realize this is our Messiah, the, the coming Messiah, and they will profess faith in them, and Jesus will let that group of Jews come into the kingdom age, that thousand years. Then there will be the Gentile nations. Matthew chapter 25 specifically speaks to this. And I'll give you the two verses just so you can see. But there will be people that will survive all that Lucifer the devil has done over this seven years. I don't know how many because what we saw through all the plagues and war that over three quarters of the earth's population is annihilated. So for seven billion and three quarters of that is out of the way. I mean, we're looking at probably just about a less than a billion people left on the planet. But that's still a good number of people. Uh, you know, under, right under a billion people may be left on planet Earth. However, uh, there's going to be all those people who survived will be allowed to come in the kingdom, whether they've been born again or not. It's not based on belief in Jesus and salvation. I think we often teach that because we'll teach that the goats are the sinners and the sheep are the Christians. But it's not sinners versus Christians. It's two separate nations of people divided by the angel for Jesus. I'll show you that in a minute. But they're allowed to come in. And then we're going to see Satan is in there. He's locked away in abyss for the thousand years. And then what we have is a bunch of new humans being born. During the thousand years, all the Gentile and Jews who have come into the kingdom, but they've not been resurrected from the dead, they do not have immortal bodies, they simply survived. They survived the seven years tribulation, they survived the wrath, they survived the plagues. They're still very much natural people. They've not been resurrected like the beheaded. They've not been resurrected like the Christians that believe in the first resurrection. But they're there and Jesus is going to allow those to come into his kingdom. Those believing Gentile nations, what we'll call the sheep nations, are allowed to come in. I don't know how many of them there will be. But those people will still be able to marry. They'll still be able to have children. Which, you know, really throws people for a loop because Jesus says in heaven they'll be like the angels. But we're not in heaven. We're on the earth. And these earthly people will still populate and children will be born We'll teach this in a few weeks. Children will be born. A 90-something-year-old child will be thought to be young because we're in a different age where a thousand years is a, is, a, is a day to God. So that's kind of the populace of what's going to be in the millennial kingdom. So let's look at a scripture just to show you what I mean by the Gentile nations. Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on a glorious throne. There's that sitting himself in Jerusalem at the temple there. And all the nations will be gathered. So obviously there's still some people that didn't die off. Not everybody got killed in the tribulation Armageddon. There's still people here. And he will separate those nations as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand 
and the goats at his left. And the king will say, so that's him, he's referring to himself now as king. So he's king of kings. Now he's in a position that I rule the nations. That's what a king is. He rules the nations. He's the king. And he'll say, come, you who are blessed by my father. And in a very weird phrase which shows you the compassionate grace of Jesus Christ. These people are not born again. They do not know Jesus the way we would know him. But he says, I'm going to allow you to inherit the kingdom. All right, listen to the next verses. These are the people that he rejects. And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, cursed ones. You'll go to eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Casual reading, it seems that one group is saved and they get in. The other group is lost and they go out. But Jesus delineates it because they're very confused too. And they say, well, I don't understand how do we get in. And this is what he answers back. The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these. And then he defines who they are. My brothers and sisters, you did it to me. In other words, the way you treat the Jews that survived will allow you to come in. During this tribulation period... If you treat my brothers and sisters, because the church is not referred to as his brother and sister. We are his bride. We are the body. So when he says here, uh, it's how you treated my brothers and sisters that allows you to come into this kingdom. Un unregenerated, unborn again. You don't have an immortal body. But I'm going to let you come in and experience the kingdom. I'm going to let you come in and live in this kingdom to know what it's like to live under the rule of God with the church ruling and reigning with him and then he says this that because you were kind to my people that's going to be why I let you in you'll reap what you sow God is a good God God honors his word you will reap what you sow now here's what we need to know just because they got in don't let it assume that that's eternal life Living a thousand years under God's rule is not eternal life. And that's what faith is. Faith is given to us in Jesus for eternal life. So that we never die. These people will still die. Now, I don't, I don't know. I mean, my, my opinion, I, I'll try to teach it next week. But my opinion is, during the thousand years, nobody's going to die. Because death will be locked away, Lucifer's locked away, and they'll just live a long time. Uh, I go back and forth. Some people believe that there will be death, and if it is, it's going to be old age, old, like eight, nine hundred years old as we go through it. So these surviving Jews and Gentile nations now populate earth with, with Jesus ruling from Jerusalem using us to make sure that all these unregenerate, unsaved people are reigned over. They'll be required to bring sacrifices. They'll be required to worship Jesus. They'll see what it's like to live under his rule and under his domain. So uh, let's look at this because I want to now take the whole rest of the night to look at four or five different ways of how we can understand this. So, so that was kind of who's going to be in it and what's going to be going on. But let's really figure out the, the expanse of a thousand years. Here's the first one, and I'll give them all to you again and let you see them. There's five of them. To understand the millennial kingdom, we've got to go backwards in time to the book of Genesis. 
And we've got to look at the originality of all of it. Where did the originate? Because remember, if we can determine the origin, the origin of it, where it originates, then I can, I can parse that out through Scripture to determine as it started, so shall it end. And uh, I think that can really help us to understand this millennial kingdom if I can go back and kind of see how God thinks. Now, what we're going to do, I don't think we'll get through it all tonight. I'll, I'll try to get at least to the third. But we're going to pull out from Scripture each one of these thoughts, and then at the end of the scriptural thoughts, we're going to give a definition of the millennial kingdom. So what we'll end up with is five different passages that if you put all five of them together, we'll just kind of tell you why the millennial kingdom is so critical to God and what it's going to be doing. I'll tell you this, it's not just us running around sniffing flowers and enjoying the grass and chasing butterflies. I know that feels good when we, when we look at Christian literature, but, but there's a very specific reasoning that God is, God is finishing something. Even with the millennial kingdom, he's finishing something that is very intentional. Uh, one of my thoughts is if we can think differently, that what God is finishing is, just so we can be fair, he has to finish this group of people that never died. All right? He can't just toss them into the lake of fire. He has to finish them when they've come in. So the history of the church, we feel like it's finished. The kingdom of Lucifer is locked away for a while. But he's got this thousand years, and he's going to teach us something. My belief is this. The millennial kingdom will be an object lesson of the entire redemptive story played out for all eyes to see. And when it's over, zero excuse that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And he's going to give us a thousand years. So let's just jump into it. Let's take the first one. God's original intent. And let's just dive through several scriptures and pull it out. And remember as we dive through it, I've highlighted words that I really want to pull out that will help us define the millennial kingdom. So in the beginning, let's start here. God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the millennial kingdom is going to be on the earth. Jesus will come down to the earth, and this millennial kingdom will be done on the earth. A thousand years here. But let's see what the purpose of the earth was. Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word, and their voice is never heard. Yet, listen to this, their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all around the world. So one of the reasons Jesus is coming back to earth for a thousand years to rule and reign with him in charge is because the earth will be released to give God the glory that it was always supposed to give. I don't know if it's going to be as crazy as that rocks are singing and trees are clapping. I mean, that's what we say, right? The trees of the field clap their hands. Uh, people always ask, will animals be there? My answer is yes, animals will be there. What we should ask is, will they be talking to us? Will they be communicating with us? Because there won't be anything to block that. Uh, we, we will be in a whole heightened awareness, all of creation is speaking the glory of God. We haven't even gotten to humans yet. 
This is just a lion and a lamb laying down together. What is that going to speak to people? When, when the victim and the, vic, you know, and the victor are laying down side by side and the lion refuses to eat the lamb. What has shifted? What we have to say is that the entire DNA of the animal kingdom shifted when we entered the millennial kingdom. Everything starts shifting. And so God said one of the reasons is the world is going to proclaim my glory. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed and the world was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything. And then I highlighted this through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. He gave life to everything and that light brought light to everyone. Darkness can never extinguish it. So what we're learning from God's original intent of the earth being created is that God would create the earth to show us what life was like through Jesus. He said, I did it. I created everything through him. I know now it's evolution. It's not through a person. It's through science. It's through the Big Bang. But the reason the millennial kingdom is coming is to show us what life is like through Jesus. We will be able to see him on a throne and watch how his life manifests across the planet. How animals give him praise, the trees give him praise, the clouds give him praise, the rains give him praise, the rivers give him praise, the rocks give him praise, the grass gives him praise, the people give him praise, the angels give him praise. And all of the people who were unredeemed, the nations, will be standing in the middle of that watching something they've never seen before. Can you imagine when it's all over and Jesus says, come inherit my kingdom and this motley group of Gentiles come staggering through after a seven-year tribulation and all of a sudden a a lion walks up and says, yo, what's up? It's like, oh my God, what's going on? Like the animals can talk. It'll be a whole different environment of what's going on. But it's also to teach us this, that in the kingdom, darkness cannot extinguish it. It started out that way. We locked him away. We locked darkness away. And so there'll be something very supernatural in this original intent of creation. Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created. I love this. It's one of my favorite verses. People have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. His eternal power and his divine nature. And then this. So they have no excuse for not knowing me. So what God is going to do for these people that have come in is he's going to give them 1,000 years a chance to know him. We don't know, though, if they're going to be allowed to be born again, but what we do know is they're going to be allowed to experience life under the banner of life itself. Uh, I I still got to work out whether or not when it's over if Jesus extends the olive branch to them to believe. My opinion is no. I'll tell you why in the weeks ahead. But they do get an opportunity to stand and have no excuse. You remember what Paul says here. He says nobody will stand in front of God and have an excuse. You won't be able to stand and go, I didn't know. I had no clue you were God. Nobody told me you were God. Nobody will ever stand before him and say, I had no clue. Now I know you and I say, what about the jungle guy that's never heard about Jesus? What if he dies and goes to heaven? Well, here's what I know. If he does die and go to heaven, he will never stand in front of God and say, I had no clue who you were. 
Because God in his infinite wisdom, whether he sends him an angel, a dream, a squirrel, or a rabbit, that brother will know the gospel before he passes if one of us doesn't take it to him. Now, whether he receives it or not, I believe that's, that's their deal, or whether they've rejected it or not. So let's look at God's original intent as it relates to the kingdom. All right, so there were some scriptures about the earth giving glory and what's taking place. Number one, the millennial kingdom, the reason we're having a thousand years, will serve to make God known to the nations that remain. So God wants them to know him through creation. Number two, the millennial kingdom will demonstrate how life through Jesus is to be realized. Now here's the sad, I don't say sad, that's a bad choice of words, but here's a thought. Right now, the church is supposed to be the jealousy point of how life through Jesus is to be lived. The world is to look at me and you and become jealous of the very life we have. They're to look at our life and go, how are you so happy? How can you be such at peace? How can you walk in such health? How can you have little anxiety to know fear about your future? We, we are to be this. We are to be how life through Jesus looks. But you realize real quickly, once the devil understands the power we have, he corrupts us, uh, he gets us fearful, anxious, rebellious, sinful, uh, depressed, dark, suicidal, and then we wonder why... Our earth is not compassionately falling in love with Jesus. I would say, well, the better question is why aren't they falling in love with the church? Because we are the expression of Jesus on our planet. And I would say somewhere the church has probably lost an appeal to the world. Because we've become religious rather than becoming life-giving. Our services are more religious than they are life-giving. But he's going to lock the devil away so there won't be a devil to destroy it. And he'll give people an opportunity to know how life through the kingdom should look. Number three, the millennial kingdom will prove that darkness truly resides in the heart of men. And I'll teach this in depth, but this is the thought behind that. Why would God allow Lucifer out after a thousand years? Because all these Gentile nations that have produced children and stayed and, and been there and got married... and had families, the truth is, is God's going to show us that even if they live in his kingdom, even if they experience his glory, even if they taste his goodness for a thousand years, even if they never know war, sickness, disease, or hate for a thousand years, what he's going to teach us is every Gentile nation that was allowed in was not born again. And if they're not born again, they're still part of Adam's seed. And if they're still part of Adam's seed, when Lucifer is released to come back, it is to come back to go after Adam's seed again. And the Bible says he will lead all the nations away to overthrow. Could you imagine, I mean, we'll get there, but can you imagine this thought? You live with Jesus a thousand years. There's no war, there's no disease, there's no hate, there's no anger. There, it's, just, it's literally just like heavenly bliss with the nations ruling but the reason we have to rule and reign with him is because mentally we say it's bliss, but it's really not bliss. Because you have unregenerate people who are left behind who don't want to be ruled. They don't want somebody telling them what to do. They don't want somebody in charge of them. But they're going to have to come under the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Lucifer is, re is released, he's going to tempt all those people. And here's what's so weird. 
they literally will look at Christ on a throne and reject and hate him and follow Lucifer. After a thousand years with him, which shows you the power of darkness that really resides in the heart of people, which is why we say you must be born again, not just become religious and have an experience with Jesus. Because every one of these people will have an experience. And there's a lot of Christians today going to church who have experiences. But you must be born again. And that's what he's going to teach us. Here's number four. The millennial kingdom will eliminate all excuses for not knowing God. When the enemy comes to tempt all these people, they won't be able to say, I don't know who God is. They will know. They will see him on the throne, ruling and reigning, and we will be his representatives. So this will be the first wave of kind of what the millennial kingdom will be like going off of God's original intent of creation and what we're going to be doing here. Let's look at the second group, human's original purpose. Since we not only have Jesus on the earth with the animals and all of that, we have people here. And there must be a human purpose for the millennial kingdom. We saw the earth purpose is to proclaim the glory, so there's no excuse. But let's dive in and look at the human purpose. Genesis 1, we go back to Genesis, and let's see what he says about human beings. The original intent of a human being was to display the image of God on planet earth ticked Lucifer off royally because there had never been a created being that portrayed the image of God. So there's something about Lucifer, as beautiful as he was as an angel or a cherub, as beautiful as he was, he was not the image of God. He was not made in the image of God, but though he had great power and great wisdom. So one of the human purposes was to, to put his image, but then he says this, be fruitful and multiply, fill it, and I've talked about this before, I won't belabor it, and govern it. There was a governance that was to come with humanity. God's original intent is that humans would govern planet Earth. They would govern animals, they would govern the fish of the sea, they would govern the birds, and you know, ultimately we would say govern each other, but they weren't supposed to govern each other. God would be their governor. And so God would govern humans, and humans would govern the planet. They would till it and take care of it and take care of the animals and all of that and God was to be the one that would govern the human. He would sit over them. That's why when uh, he's talking to uh, the Israelites and they're whining and you remember what they whined about. We want a king. And he said, well you go tell them that uh, I want to be their king. I want to be the one that governs them. And they came back to, to Samuel the prophet and they said, no, we want a king like all the other nations. We want a man to rule over us. And so God said, well, since you've rejected me, I'll give you a king and you can have Saul. So you can see that how men, even when God offers himself to rule them, <laughs> they say, oh, no, no way, man. We don't want you to rule us. We want to be ruled by ourselves. So you can see real quickly how sin turns into not, not we're not governing the earth. We now want to govern each other. I want to tell you what to do. I want you to be my slave. I want you to bow down to me because that's the kingdom of Lucifer playing out. We were to reign over the fish, reign over the birds, and all of the animals. Genesis chapter 2. God places that man in a garden and he gives this phrase, to watch over it. So that's the original intent. You got a job. So let's not think we're going to be in the millennial kingdom just playing harps, floating on clouds and drinking virgin margaritas while we have our toes in the sand. There's a job from the original intent. I gave you humans a job. 
And then he warns them and says, you can freely eat except, and he tells them what the exception is, and he says, and if you do, you're going to die. You, you cannot eat it. So part of the original intent was, I'm going to give you a lot of freedom, but you're going to have to come under my governance. You're going to have to obey me. So original intent, you're free, but you're free to obey. I'm not asking for a lot, but I am asking that you cannot be under my lordship without obedience, which is why Jesus, when he comes in the New Testament, will tie in that uh, if you love me, you will obey. Here's just a thought, I think, for witnessing. This may help you. You know, there's a lot out there that says, well, guess God loves everybody, right? And then we'll say, do you know Jesus loves you? Or people will say, God loves me regardless. And we'll say, well, absolutely he does. But if you really want to get to the heart of a person, it's not going to them saying Jesus loves you. If they don't already know it, that's a good thought to know. But the real question is, do you love him? Because that's really what salvation is. Not that he loves me. He loved me when I was a sinner. He loved me before I even got on the planet. But he turns back and says, now if you love me, this is what you will do. And so the reality of salvation is not his, just his love for me. He first loved me so that I can in turn love him back. And so that's what he's doing here. He's pushing us to that if moment. Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. Now he's teaching me something about original intent. Original intent was that not only would you rule and reign, but you would not do it alone. You need a helper. You need somebody that can come in the mix with you, somebody that can help you accomplish what you need to accomplish, that can lead you the way you need to do. Here's the weird thing about that. Ephesians 5 tells us that that marriage is a mirror image of something. He said, for just as a husband loves a wife, just as Christ loved, and now he sums it up, the church. He gave his life for the church to make the church holy and clean, to wash her by the cleansing of God's word, and he, he did this to present her to himself, a glorious church, and then at the end, that she would be holy and without fault. So God takes this moment of original intent of a husband and wife, that she would be a helper to him and they would do kingdom work, but then we get to the New Testament and realize that the husband, how he loves his wife, is a reflection of how Jesus loves the church. And so now we, we cannot even go for original intent of humans, and this is a weird thought, but the original intent of a human was to display the love of Christ through marriage. So we're way back here. There's not even a church yet. There's no Jesus yet, you know, in the flesh. There's no day of Pentecost. We just have a man and a woman, but the original intent of that man and a woman is, fast forward, there would be a reflection of Jesus loving his bride. I think that's why, you know, today we see such devastation in marriages because the devil cannot have that. He cannot have us being a reflection of this holy, faultless relationship. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us one more thing about humans. Is that once we're born again, that we will judge the angels. We were, we were designed to judge the angels. It's why Lucifer was ticked at Adam and Eve. I know this is fast forward thousands of years into the book of Corinthians, but when Adam and Eve were made and he sees the image, the angel is just absolutely ticked because those humans are going to be his judge. They will judge the angelic realm and they will judge it. So here's what we can pick up from those scriptures about humans and tie it to the millennial kingdom from original intent. The millennial kingdom will serve to display the image of God in humans 
via the church. Remember, the church is ruling and reigning with him. So this whole section of human original purpose is, is that we humans would display the glory of God, not just creation, but we also would display the glory. A rock wouldn't just praise him, we would. But in this millennial kingdom, the way God is going to use humans to display him is through the church. The church is going to become the visible display of the image of God to all the humans that are on the planet. Because here's the deal. Jesus is in Jerusalem. You and I will be stationed all around the earth as redeemed, holy, righteous, faultless human beings in a, uh, a supernatural kind of body. According, and we'll get to this in the future too, a body that is just fashioned like Jesus that means we will be able to be in one spot and with a snap of a finger we can transport and be somewhere across the planet in a, in a flash of a thumb. We can teleport, so to speak. We can walk through uh, material objects like Jesus just walked through the walls and appeared in a room. Material objects will not impact us because we will have an eternal, glorious, fashioned body that's not bound just by... Uh, you know, flesh alone. We'll still have flesh and bone, but it will be a redeemed, immortal kind of flesh. But that will be a display. And my belief is, is as we walk around the planet, the humans that are left that are not uh, redeemed in immortal bodies and glorified bodies will look at us and say, why are you shining? I said that a few weeks ago. Why are you glowing? You're the light of my town. When you walk in, there's something different about you, and we will display well, we are a reflection of the king that is ruling from Jerusalem. My belief is, too, as children are born, I mean, this may be stretching it, this is an opinion. Uh, I think I can find some scriptures, but I don't know them offhand. But um, I believe that we'll be stationed in various places around the earth, and we will be assigned. If, if you're faithful with little, you'll be ruler over little. If you're faithful with a lot, I'll make you ruler over a lot. So what you're doing right now will determine whether you'll rule in Temple or Manhattan. Uh, you know, how, wherever God's going to put you. Whether you can rule over three people or whether you can rule over a half a million, what you're doing right now, it, it, God is marking that. He's looking. You're not just showing up to church and giving God $5. Everything you do is, is a seed for how well you will be placed in the kingdom to serve with him and what you will be doing. So every witness, every dime you sow, every prayer you pray, everything you do for his kingdom, you will reap and he'll give it back. But here, back to my point. This is just Mark's head, right? So, so fathom people who are here. The earth is clean. A thousand years, children are being born. But they're being born... And there has to be people to teach them the ways of God. There has to be people to take them to the eternal word and say, let me teach you what we can fully know about the king that is in Jerusalem. And I believe we will be stationed in areas, towns, cities, and, uh, you know, I guess B groups are kind of a training for that now. And I believe you'll sit down and you'll, you'll be the light of the world and you'll be in a room and people will come and go, why is she glowing? And they'll say, that's because she's going to teach us about the king in Jerusalem. Well, who is the king? We don't know, 
But we've been born, I've been here 20 years, and my great-great-great-grandfather, who's now 700 years old, told us that there was a king that came back and he governs the earth. They won't even know what death is. They won't even know what sin is. They won't even know what sickness is because they will be birthed and born in a time where there is none of that. And they'll hear their great-great-great-grandfather talk about when I got into the kingdom and now here I am 800 years old telling my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchild about this dude named Jesus and they have no clue who Jesus is because they're over in Cambodia and Jesus is over in Jerusalem. But he tells Jennifer, I'm stationing you in Cambodia. Go over there, be the light of the world, train them, teach them about me. Let the glory in you come on them and let the earth that they live in speak of my glory that they may know me, that all may come to know me and that the nations of the earth will know the glory of my name. And we will sit down and we will tell them of the glory of God. We will teach them how to give offerings. We will teach them how to pray. We will teach them how to press into the glories and the power of God. That's just my thought. That's a good one though. I really believe it, but I don't want to throw stuff out if I don't, can't back it scripturally, but, but I do believe it. The millennial kingdom will demonstrate obedience to Christ via the church. Uh, you will be required to obey during the millennial kingdom. We will see, I think it's in the book of Zechariah in a few weeks ahead, that if you don't bring an offering, he won't let it rain on your town. You won't receive any rain. God will hold back the water. You will be required to obey. Obedience has always been part of the deal. He even teaches us to obey is better than sacrifice. I know now we have a cheesy gospel that just says live any way you want to. Obedience doesn't matter, but that's a false gospel. Obedience has always mattered. It mattered with Adam. It mattered with Noah. It mattered with Moses. It matters with Daniel. It mattered with King David. It mattered with Saul. It mattered with every prophet. It mattered with Jesus. It mattered with Mary. It still matters today, and it will still matter here. But we will be the ones to demonstrate it. How did you get where you were? Because we became obedient to Christ. We, we followed his voice and we became obedient. Number three, the millennial kingdom will prove that a faultless life is possible. A faultless life is possible. We will be purified. How do you live? How do you not have fleshly appetites and desires because we're faultless? We, we have been cleaned. We have been purified. I don't know how that really plays out when I, I, I don't even know if people will have an awareness. You can fast forward. I mean, we, we can't even fathom 900-year-old person. But, but can you imagine a person 900 or a kid that's 400 years old and the kid has never known hate? The kid doesn't even know what racism is child doesn't even know what sexual perversion is. You know, but even though their heart is still dark because they're not born again, there's just nothing to grab it yet. There's no tempter to tempt yet. They're, they're, they're just, they're, they're free because Satan's locked away, but, 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 but there won't be anything to grab onto to know the darkness of that. Except what I think is, that obedience that's required is going to enlighten it. That when we come and say, you must bring an offering to the Jewish king in Jerusalem, and they go, uh, no, we won't. That, that command of obedience will show the darkness of their heart, but we will stand as it is possible to live faultless. You, don't, you, can, you can achieve that through Christ. The millennial kingdom will unveil God's kingdom government. 
through the church. We will go back to what he said, I want to rule the world. Well, truthfully, I mean, how could that happen? How could Jesus rule the planet living in Jerusalem? You know, now right now the way he does it is via his spirit, but, but this is going to be the actual Jesus, not via his spirit, but Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh cannot be everywhere on planet earth, but via the redeemed of the Lord and those of us that have been redeemed and, and born again, we will be planted all around and we will unveil God's kingdom government of what that would look like. So that's, uh, I got every one of them, the church. This is the purpose of the church. We rule and reign. We are a reflection of God's glory. Uh, we, we make sure that the Gentile nations stay obedient uh, we're an example of a sinless life, and we unveil kingdom government. So there'll still be government going on here. We'll still be working here. So let's kind of leave the cloud playing a harp floating across the sky. Let's look at creation's original outcome. <clears throat> and by creation, I mean the seven days, not just the earth, and the, but the whole seven days in a package. Not trees and animals, and you know that's that's day that's day five, that's day three and day five and six. But but all of them, all of them together. What was the purpose of those seven days? I think it's pretty clear if you know the story, Genesis two. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. There's that finishing again. What God starts, He finishes. Now when He finished it, this is what He said about it. He rested from all His work. He blessed that day and he called it holy. So the seventh day when it was all completed, the end result of the original, of creation's original outcome was holy, and I, I taught this when we did the seven, the number seven. It was holy rest. Blessed, holy rest that is a completion. So what the millennial kingdom is going to do, it is going to give us an option of blessed, holy rest that brings a completion to what God does. And as day seven was the end of the work of God, the thousand-year reign will be the end of the work of God as a blessed holy rest. And out of this comes the Sabbath day principle. We'll look at that in a second. But, uh, and I'll go back to a thought on that in a minute, and it may make a little more sense. Exodus 16, this is when he's talking about, they've come out of Egypt, and they're whining. Humans have a great way to be delivered by God and a few weeks later whine again. And so they're whining about we're sick of the food, we're hungry, uh, you know, we're starving out here. And God says, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you manna and I want you to go pick up every day. I just want you to pick up as much as you need. On day, seven, pick, oh, day six, pick up double, but day seven, don't pick up a thing. And so he says, now the reason I'm going to do this is to test them to see whether or not, and here it is, obedience. The reason I'm going to do this is just to see if they will obey me. So I'm just going to overwhelm you with quail. I'm going to overwhelm you with food. But here's what I need to know. You get as much as you can get, day one through five. Day six, grab double, because on day seven, you're not going to get anything. And they're like, yeah, peace out. We're still going to go on day seven. And when they did, there was nothing there, and their food rotted when they tried to take more than they could. Because God said, I'm really just trying to teach you to follow my instructions. And they're going to call this day the Sabbath day. 
So he told them, hey, when they ask, and they did, they asked Moses, what's going on? Like, we don't understand. Why can't we get food on the seventh day? This is what he said. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest. And then he, for the first time in the Bible, this word is mentioned. It will be a holy Sabbath set apart to the Lord. And now we take that seven-day principle, day seven, being rest, and we realize that this is very important to God. It's even a Ten Commandment, honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. It's very important to God. It's important for a reason because it's part of His original intent of all creation, that all creation would come to a place of rest and that we would end in a place of rest. Listen to what He says here in Exodus. Some of the people went out anyway. In other words, just teaching us even when God's trying to rule us, we hate it. How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize, and I love this phrase, the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. Stay in your place, is what he tells them. Don't go pick up more food on the seventh day. So this phrase, the Lord's Sabbath, is a gift to you. He's trying to teach us something. What is he trying to teach me through taking a day off and not working? What is he trying to teach me in this rest of a holy day, he's trying to teach me to learn to rest in him and trust his wisdom. And the millennial kingdom is going to play itself out for that. Here's Hebrews 4. It even fast forwards to show you that God's original intent of creation, even the new creation, the salvation experience, is to give you rest. For the good news that God has prepared this rest. It's been announced just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith in, of those who listened to God. For only those who believe can enter his rest. Look at the very last phrase. They will never enter my place of rest even though, and then the pink, rest has been ready since when? He made the world. Yeah, since he made the world. So this original intent of making the world was to teach people what rest is. And that he's going to end the world by teaching us what rest is. A Sabbath rest whereby on the seventh day you will rest, you will come under my obedience, you will do what I tell you to do, you will rest in me and watch, this is my gift to you. So Jesus gives us a gift. Uh, I don't know where you fall in you know, days and thousands of years, but if a, if a day with God is, a, is like a thousand years to us, then that means from Adam until Jesus is 4,000 years, if we parse back all the people that were born, from Adam to Jesus is 4,000 years, that's four days. From Jesus to us is 2,000 years, that's two days. So we're at six days in God's scale of thousands of years, and then he's got one more day to accomplish, and that's why we're going to hit another 1,000. Is that God is going to give us our true 1,000-year day, you had day one with Adam all the way to Jesus is four days of mine. From Jesus till present day is two more days of mine. I've given you guys six days, 6,000 years since Adam. I've let you live on planet Earth, but I'm going to bring everybody to a place of rest. And I'm going to let you enjoy the Sabbath rest with me, and it's just my gift to you. I'm going to let you in to know what it's like. Here's how it plays out. God's original outcome, the millennial kingdom will serve to give a holy Sabbath rest to all of Adam's descendants. We're already at rest. We don't need a rest. We've chosen to believe we're at rest now. But to all of the nations 
that come in who've never known what holy rest is, God's going to gift them with a holy rest of a thousand years. The millennial kingdom will give humans the experience of a holy rest via obedience. And now on to Adam's original rebellion. I'll try to get through this and we'll... Pardon? Go back? Okay. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. What a great place. I'll just stop here. That way we won't have to rush. And then we'll pick up next week um, the rebellion of Adam and what's that mean to the millennial kingdom. And then we'll pick up uh, God's remedy for it and how that plays out. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.